0: it's the Creator Spaces Show.
1: Welcome back to the Creator Spaces Show. And today, we're talking about workflow tools with Jeremy Kaplan. This conversation highlights how to find and choose tools that will allow you to create without friction. Let's get right into it. Do you consider yourself a creator?
2: I'm morphing into that and mostly a teacher. I've always been someone who enjoyed making things, whether it's writing pieces, making little audio, video pieces, but only recently have I actually undertaken a fully independent publishing project in the form of my newsletter. And so now I do consider myself a novice creator as well.
0: So tell me about the newsletter. What are you creating? Sure.
2: Early in the pandemic, I had a hunger to be doing something that keep my mind off of the pandemic and all of the terrible news that we were living through. And so I thought about what can I offer people that might be of use during this period. And a lot of us were working full time in front of our computers for the first time. We we were accustomed to working alternately in front of our computers and then in face to face settings. and, And we were suddenly fully remote and working from home. And so I thought it might be useful to share some of my interest in tools and platforms and working efficiently and effectively and creatively. Some of my experience with that and resources for that with people. So I started a newsletter called Wonder Tools in April of last year. So it's a weekly newsletter that helps people identify cool and useful tools that might help with their workflow with productivity and creativity and points people to things that they may not have known about.
0: Awesome. I guess it's been a year and I'm sure you just wrote a post about this. What is the wonder tool of 2020?
2: It's a bit like a toolkit, right? I'm starting to assemble that it covers a lot of different bases. So it covers working collaboratively with a document tool, working collaboratively in terms of reserving appointments and organizing one's calendar, taking notes, adding interactivity to meetings and teaching. So there's a suite of about a dozen tools that I think make up a really effective kind of remote working suite for people who want to get a lot done and do different kinds of work during the day, which I think
1: really is most of us at this point. Remote work is only increasing in popularity and doesn't look like it's slowing down anytime soon. Adaptation is the name of the game and new ways of communication and maximizing productivity need to be incorporated. Lucky for us, Jeremy is a master at identifying the tools that can help us do just that.
2: I think we're just living in this amazing era. It's a fun time to play around and experiment with tools and to find your own tool set. So I think the key thing is to figure out what your challenges are. Everyone has leaks in their system. The key is just identifying what that leak is. And it's easy to identify because it's the thing that you're nervous about or that you occasionally worry about or get frustrated with. And so I think the key thing is just to identify that and then to experiment and try different solutions and different tools that that might be helpful with that. And the point is not the tool is just a means to an end. just so that you don't have to have that worry and you can focus on the creative aspect of things.
0: I'm interested what tools you use in your workflow. Could you walk me through it?
2: Sure, sure. Yeah, so I use a whole range of different tools depending on what I'm doing. So for kind of note-taking and creation, I'm using Roam to organize my notes and thoughts and ideas and drafts. I'm using Google Docs oftentimes to transcribe my text if I'm talking um, to work and edit quickly. I use a combination of tools for interactivity when I'm doing my teaching. So I use Notion and Coda for creating kind of interactive documents Documents And Slido, which is a really great interactivity tool for simple polling. For presentations, I have a suite of different ones that I use. I use Projector and Pitch.com and Beautiful.ai. See,
0: I tried the other two, but I've been using Beautiful for so long and I'm so used to it. I just keep going back to that as my primary.
2: It's great. It's beautifully designed and super effective. I always prefer when there's one tool that I go to. It's better to me in workflow to have one that you can rely on. I used to call it Pick, Stick and Dig. Pick one tool that really resonates with you and satisfies what you need to do. Stick to it so you get to know it really well. And dig in so you really get to know the features to make it as useful as possible. And I believe you have to use something at least three times for something that really matters to really master it. So we need to know tools that kind of allow us to create without friction. And that's what my emphasis tends to be on. It's not to find the perfect tool or to find the most powerful tool. It's to find the tool that lets you get to the work that really matters.
1: Links to all the tools that Jeremy has mentioned will be provided in the description. Remember, everyone's workflow is different and evolves over time. Jeremy erased the tools in his newsletter, but the decision still lies in your hands to choose the tools that are most relevant to what you're trying to achieve.
0: Now I'm interested. How do you go about getting your audience? What are you doing now? How has it grown?
2: It's grown quite a lot. Approaching the 4,500 subscriber mark, which is far past what I thought I would be at in a year. And more importantly than the number, I feel I've gotten to know some people who have been reading the newsletter and have offered some really great feedback and really great responses in terms of being able to incorporate a lot of the tools into their own workflows and using the tools for their teaching teams and projects. So that's been gratifying to know that people are spreading the word. In terms of the workflow, you know, it's been good practice. It's been a discipline for me to have a weekly deadline and to see which kinds of posts resonate with people and and which kinds of posts I feel best about and what kind of length and style. Is
0: there a difference between the two?
2: You know, sometimes things that I'm really excited about, people not as many people may be excited about. If I look at the numbers, one of the things that's interesting is for the most part, it's been about a 50% open rate for much of the year. So 50% of the people who receive it open it and 50% don't. And on certain posts, there's just a little bit less interest for whatever reason. So I wrote a post about Twitter and tools that work well with Twitter and that for whatever reason didn't seem to resonate. And I don't know if it was the headline or if it was the topic or people are just tired of reading about Twitter or they don't feel like they need tools for Twitter. That's an example of one that didn't resonate as well. And then there are others that really had a lot of resonance that the posts about Notion and Rome, which are two tools that I use, those resonated. People are very interested in understanding, you know, how to use them, what to use them for, why to use them. And that's what I'm offering. It's not really just links. Uh, There's a lot of places to find links. So what I'm offering is why is this useful? How is this useful? What are some examples as the writer of this? How do I actually incorporate them into my own workflow? So that's what I think people are sometimes looking for when they hear about something, they hear about the tool, but they don't really know necessarily. necessarily why it's useful or how to use it, or how an ordinary person actually uses it with other things. So that's where I think I can hopefully provide a little insight.
1: There's this cool quote by Harvey Diamond that states that, if you don't know what you want to achieve, your audience never will. Jeremy seems to understand this perfectly, with his main goal being to make sure that his content is resonating with his audience and using metrics such as open rates to inform his future decisions are you monetizing right now? And if so, how?
2: Yeah, I'm not really monetizing. I'm experimenting a little bit. And I should say on this whole topic, a lot of the motivation for me doing this, I spoke about it as a pandemic side project. It's also that I'm teaching entrepreneurial journalism. I'm directing this new journalism creators program. And it's essentially a program to provide a turbo boost to journalists who want to create a new solo venture on a micro scale for a niche community. So they're creating newsletters, podcasts, niche websites, local websites, and it's for people all over the world. And so in order to to teach the subject effectively, I feel like it's helpful for me to be walking the walk, to be able to talk the talk. In other words, have some kind of experience with the process both of creating and, and growing community and engaging with community and monetizing a little bit. So I am experimenting with monetizing, not for the purpose of really building a big venture in that sense, but so that I have a feel for some of these tactics. And one of those I've experimented with recently is a sponsorship. And so that's about a brand that I would believe in anyway. I think it's a good product and service and they need to get in front of people and they, they want to reach new people and grow and so they're willing to sponsor individual posts and it's marked as a sponsorship or an ad or in this case as a sponsored message and so that's one way of monetizing and then it's also a brand building for me as an individual person who occasionally does speaking or consulting or coaching or other kinds of services that I provide for people and organizations the uh, content serves as content marketing right so people find me and connect with me and if I can be helpful to them in some professional way sometimes there's a way of sharing in that value so that's sort of indirect monetization in a sense.
0: Yeah. And that actually leads me to my next question. Does your employer pay you more for the extra reach that your brand and this work that you're doing as a creator brings?
2: No, I'm employed by, (laughs) by the City University of New York and they're paying me what they can afford to pay me to do the work I do. And I'm very happy. So I'm very fortunate and very appreciative of that. And yeah, my compensation is not at all related to this. And I'm also fortunate that as a journalist and an educator, I have the freedom to do some experimentation. And because it's part of my teaching, I think it integrates well with what I'm doing. So I'm just happy to have the freedom to be able to do that. In this case, it's not so much about the monetization as about the kind of learning and experience for me and community building.
1: Awesome. Experimentation allows us to explore the wilderness of our own talents and minds. You'll uncover more about your identity and purpose, and that will attract people who align with it. That's how strong brands are built. And strong brands guarantee business and monetization opportunities.
0: What's your North Star metric for success? How do you know you're on the right path?
2: That's a good question. I think one of the metrics is a qualitative one, which is, are people finding this useful and do they express to me that they are finding value and being able to apply what I am offering? Because if I'm able to do that repeatedly and on a consistent basis, then that means I'm actually creating value for people in a very clear and tangible way. So that's one qualitative North Star metric. I think open rate is also important. If people are opening the email that I'm sending them, that's probably a good signal that they've found prior emails to be interesting and useful. It's not necessarily 100% reliable because people are just swamped.
1: (laughs) The success of an educator is seen in the success of the people he or she has educated. And it's wonderful to see how this notion has shaped Jeremy's North Star and current goal.
0: What's your current goal as a creator?
1: I want to, on the one hand, be consistently useful for people. I also
2: want to continually refine the workflow. So I was just reading about the Taoism and and, and listening to a podcast about Taoism and this idea that you want to be at 80%. You don't want to work at 100%. Everyone says 110%, give it 110%, you know, be working, be at the grindstone, all that kind of stuff. And actually, to be most effective, most creative, most productive, you actually don't want to be overworking. You don't want to be working late at night. Yeah, so that ties into this objective, which is to find a way to make the workflow such that it doesn't feel like I'm under pressure for myself to finish and to be on deadline, and it doesn't feel like it's a burden. It feels more more like something that's enjoyable and relatively easy and streamlined and all those things. I think that fits more who I am, that's more what I'm about.
1: If you can't get through your day without feeling dreadfully overwhelmed, it means that you're trying to do too much at once. Overloading your schedule doesn't make you more productive, it makes you less effective. Choose tools that counteract that and work on streamlining your workflow. Do less to do more. And as always, we wrap it all up by answering the question. If you
0: could send a tweet back to your start, what would it be? And you get to choose the start.
2: I think I would emphasize the value of working in public, creating in public more often. And I think that's something that I've always tended not to be as public about the work I'm doing. Now I'm a little bit more so than I used to be, but I've always tended to be more focused on the particular students I'm working with or particular colleagues I'm working with. And I'll use Twitter a little bit, but I'm, I'm generally I'm not out there publishing a lot or putting a lot of material out there. And I think that's something that I could have done more of all along the way. So writing more medium posts that aren't 100% perfect or that aren't 100% of my vision of something, starting newsletters sooner, doing more audio work sooner and more publicly, even if it's not 100% um, high quality, perfect material. I think just to tie a bow on that, the tweet would be lower standards. I think people have very high standards for themselves if they're ambitious people, if they're accomplished people. And sometimes that prevents you from really doing your best work because you don't put your work out there and you continually wait until it's better, right? You continually plan for more time, more effort, this or that thing to be ready. And then you just don't do as much and at least don't do as much in public. And putting stuff out there in public is where it really has a chance to resonate with other people and get feedback and improve and so forth. And so I think that would be that the tweet would be lower your standards because that will allow you. to be imperfect in public, and and that's helpful. It's important to be. There's something in between the sloppiness and and perfection that's a, a better aspiration point.